All right. Today we have Gramps on the show. I appreciate you joining. Appreciate you coming out and uh, sharing with us your book. Um, I usually don't do a big introduction, so I usually let the guests go ahead and just give everyone a little snapshot of themselves. And that way, you know, I mean, what can I say that you could say probably better about yourself anyway? So Gramps, why don't you just go ahead and tell everyone like a little snippet of what you got going on and all that good stuff, maybe a little bit about your background. I I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah, my latest uh, book is a children's book called I Don't Want to Turn Three. Uh, And it's really, it's, uh, you know, living this past year because of the pandemic caused by COVID-19, you know, in isolation, except for being able to uh, be with my family, gave me a special time to really watch and interact with with all my grandkids. I got to tell you what a trip, you know, I've got uh, six grandkids that have completely different kinds of personalities. You know, the one thing they do have in common is a sense of curiosity and how excited they get you know, when they when they do accomplish something and watch them grow year to year and how they interact with each other really is the basis for this book. So that's so part of the pandemic is just the motivation behind to get this book going and spend time with your grandchildren. Is- yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it gave me a chance to, uh, you know, to figure out what, you know, what what really goes on in a toddler's mind that parents are so desperate to kind of understand. When, when does a toddler really understand the difference between me and us? You know, this book explores how a family kind of finds out together. And and I think I, I really feel that the, what happened in this book is happening in every single family in the world. I mean, they're all going through the same thing. You know, they, uh, as a baby boomer, you know, I am trying to understand how the world has evolved since when, when I was three years old. You know, um, this is also part of the story is, uh, you know, when you, my parents, they didn't have cell phones, uh, you know, they, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have cable TV. Uh, they didn't have remotes. I was my dad's remote. He say, son, go change the channel. You know, <laughs> and I, I was the remote. So so my, my parents definition of discipline is quite different than the parents of today. I can tell you that for sure. You know, has today's world made a better place for kids to grow up? You know, I'll let your uh, you know, listeners kind of answer that question. But, uh, you know, we, how are we growing up our kids today compared to when we grew up? Yeah. Well, hey, sorry, some my dogs get a little excited sometimes. Um, well, speaking of that, you know, I don't really have a I don't, don't have much experience with children at all. I'm just a single guy with two dogs in itself. But, you know, you said it earlier, you know, you're trying to figure out what is going on in a toddler's mind. I mean, in your perspective and your opinion, I mean, what do you think, you know, with, you know, like you just said, with technology and screens and, you know, it seems like that's to be from the outside looking in. It seems like we have virtual or electronic babysitters now and for parents. I mean, what do you think is going on with with, you know, having electronic babysitters as opposed to what you just said, actually maybe going outside, not looking at a screen all day. And, you know, what is actually going through a toddler's head? Is that what they want to be looking at as a screen all day or do they want personal interaction? Or that was kind of a long drawn out question. But Well, you know, you take a look at. I really feel that this youngest generation, these kids that are one to 10 years old now, is the greatest generation this country has ever produced. And it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of, you know, they're exposed to all this electronic stuff so early, the internet, the phones, the tablets. So that really starts to stimulate their mind and, and get it going. So they, they need to be part of what they do is this whole internet thing. At the same time, you know, one of the main reasons I wrote this book is because I am convinced that we've got to get grandparents more involved in the raising of these kids today. 
Right? You know, and the reason I say that is, you know, as we get older, and as you well know, generation, you know, as we go from one to one to you know, get older, we get wiser, you know, just because we fail so much more. You know, we, we have more experiences. So that's the kind of thing that the older generation has got to relate to these young kids so they can do a balance between all this great stuff that they're learning online, but, you know, real life, too. So that really is 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 what we got to be taking a look at is how can we raise these kids so they will become the greatest generation? You know, um, you know, the real theme of the book is, you know, at what age do you actually take responsibility for your actions? Yeah. Is it three years old? Is it 13? Is it 23? You know, I'm a baby boomer. I got plenty of my contemporaries at 63 that still don't take responsibility for their actions. Yeah. So so that's something that we've got to be able to 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 help with these kids to learn at a younger age so that they become the better generation than we have ever been and move this country forward. Well, how do you get you know, a lot of people don't like to take responsibility for their actions just because what you just said, you know, being, you know, 60 X amount of years age or whatever, they just want to throw the responsibility on somebody else. I mean, things, there's always excuses people can come up with, you know, Hey, it wasn't my fault. It was, you know, I was late to work cause of traffic, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, Hey, I didn't get, make that pass just because, Hey, something, the light got my eyes. I mean, you know, how do you instill those morals and values like they actually own up, take responsibility for whatever you're doing on is it being a grandparent, like you just said, learning from your mistakes or what? Well, I think what we have to take a look at is in, in in my generation, we were a little closer in family. In other words, I grew up, my uncle was up the street. My grandmother was two blocks away. Yeah. You know, we had a whole family environment. So we had this whole, it takes a village. You know, when you step back and think about it, it takes a village to raise a kid. You know, and, and, and that means aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. And it just takes a lot of people to, to round out a kid. But, you know, when you break up the village and we all move all over the country yeah. from where we were, it, it becomes a real challenge. You know, and in my case, I've got uh, one of my daughters and two grandkids here in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I've got another two grandkids in Austin, Texas, and I've got another two grandkids in Orlando, Florida. So we are all over the place. Um, and it's a different way to, to, to raise kids today. And the grandparents have to make an effort to get involved. We have to, because these little kids aren't going to call you. You know, my kids from Orlando just aren't going to pick up the phone call. You know, you've got to get involved. We've got to make up for that loss of family, you know, that, that, that has happened. And, you know, it's. It, and the grandparents can do that. And there's all kinds of different ways. I'll give you an example of how we did it. You know, during the pandemic, I had all six here for about six weeks. So we had a chance to really, and that's what the book is based on. The book is a, the book is a, a true story. It's based on these six kids interacting. Um, and the pictures in the book are pictures that I took uh, you know, by, by why they were here. And then I sent them to the uh, illustrator and she made it into more of a cartoonish look. But yeah. but it's based on, it's based on a true story. So you know, once the kids left for Florida and, and Texas, how are we going to stay in touch with them? How can we as an older generation, you know, keep keep them, in, you know, in their in their thoughts? Well, for some reason, little kids, two, three, four and five, both girls and boys love dinosaurs. I cannot tell you why. You know, if you talk to any of your nieces or nephews or friends or kids, they all can tell you about dinosaurs. 
You know, they can tell you the long names of these dinosaurs. They can tell you if they eat meat. You know, as far as I'm concerned, dinosaurs are small, medium, and large, but they can really, they, you know, they know the details of the stuff. So we, we found that they all love dinosaurs. So what we decided to do to keep in touch and to keep, you know, the communication going with all these little kids is we decided we got half a dozen little dinosaurs in our house that every night we were going to move them someplace else in the house. So one night they were in the refrigerator eating blueberries. The next night they were by the sink with their grandmother doing dishes with soap on their noses. The next night they were playing on the piano. The next night they were walking up the steps. And so we had 50 different places around the house and outside the house every night that the dinosaurs were doing something different. Well, that created, uh, we became then part of the routine of these kids. You know, they would take their bath, their parents would read a book, and then they would say, let's, what are the dinosaurs doing tonight? So they would call my wife's iPhone so we could do Facebook, and they'd say, where's Gramps, where's Gramps? What are the dinosaurs doing tonight? So that was our way of staying in touch with these kids, even though they're, you know, thousands of miles away from us. And I'm sure your listeners, if they sit back and think about it, they've got other ways that they can come up with to make sure that they are involved in the raising of these kids so that we can start to teach them to take responsibility at a younger age. Um, so that's just my story. You know, I, and I agree with what, a lot what you're saying, you know, just what you're t- talking about, you know, uh, I came from divorced parents and I was not as close, you know, as on my dad's side with my grandparents as, as when I got older, as I thought as much as I should have. So kind of, you know, it just, you know, it makes me you know, regret not having taken that time and extra effort to actually go out and try to instill, get their morals and values instilled on me and what they went through in life. But I want to play devil's advocate a little bit. And just based on what I said, what if the parents don't want to have their children interact with the grandparents as much as you're saying you know what are they and and i'm only saying in that just because of you know say if a boy or girl developed trust issues with their parents you know just because you know that they forgot about something one time or that parent didn't pick them up from practice or the park or just any whatever example you want to say and then it's like well i don't want this happening to my kid and i don't want you know my dad to do that to my his grandchild i mean what do you say to them say, no, we'll just let them see them on holidays and special events. And that's all they need to interact with. I mean, well, you know, unfortunately, there's a piece of uh, our country that feels that way. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I, I can tell you that probably in, in my generation, 40% of us baby boomers, they really don't want to get much involved with their grandkids. I mean, you know, they, their philosophy is, hey, I raised my kids. If I raised them right, they're going to raise their kids right. You know, I got other things to do. I, but that's wrong. I mean, you know, if uh, think about what's going on in this country today and, and how divided this country is today. And, you know, what we've got to do is we as the older generation have got to make that effort to be involved with these young kids. And we've got to get our kids to, to get us to do that. I mean, we have got to become part of the routine. Uh, we have got to be a role model. I mean, all adults are role models for these kids. I mean, think about it You're, as parents. You know, you're definitely the role model of your kid. You know, if if your if your kid sees you on your phone all the time, they see you doing the text messages all the time. They see you doing that. So that's how your kids are going to grow up. Yeah. You know, uh, that that's the, the kids mimic exactly what you do, especially the two, three, four, five year old ones do. I mean, uh, I I can guarantee you that that if you're if you're a parent and you start cussing you are going to hear that cuss word three or four more times that day uh, just because 
they imitate who you are. Now, there's a way to hopefully if you start, if you lose your cool and you start cussing, what you need to immediately do is start talking about good things like bananas and the raspberries and dinosaurs so that the kids kind of get off track. But, you know, if you forget to do that, you know, the parents are the role model. And so the grandparents have to have to, to, to become that role model, too. Um, and, and that's just something we have to do if we're going to. Th- th- these kids are exposed to so much more than our kids were exposed to. I mean, there's so much outside on the Internet that they they get uh, thrown at them that we have got to counteract that. And that's the effort that we have to do. Yeah, I agree that, you know, depending on if a parent's not supervising their child correctly, I mean, if you hand them a screen in front of them, depending on what they type in, you know, they could look up. They have the world at their hands right there. They type in anything and let's say they look up the wrong thing regarding, you know, pornography or like you said, bad words or some kind of violence or whatever that's going to instill in, into their brains. I mean, the brain doesn't really fully form until I think 24, I think if I remember correctly. So, and, it, and you know, you're talking about life lessons and stuff. I mean, you don't want them seeing something weird on the internet like that. And that's like, Oh, this is what love is. This is what, you know, life is supposed to be just because I'm watching it right here. And then the parents can't sit down and explain it. Right. I mean, I mean, how do you, I mean, do you just, I mean, how do you get around that? Just like you're saying, just try to be more and more involved. I mean, well, first of all, you've got to have for these smaller kids, you got to have a routine. And one of the routines is you need to read them books every single night. It's just because that's routine that you need to get involved in. Keep in mind that it's, it's necessary for us to teach children how to think, not what to think. They'll, they'll learn how to, what to think later on in their life, but we have to teach them at the youngest age, how to think. And the simplest way to do that is to read books with your kids. Now, obviously I wanted to read my book, but there's a hundred other great children's books out there to read with these kids. Um, And and, and there's all kinds of reasons why we should be reading with our kids. You know, the first reason that we should be sitting down and spending that time and taking that 10 or 15 minutes after their bath or before they go to bed is it's a bonding time. Okay. It's a real time where it's just, you and the kid and the book and it gives you a chance to really bond because our days our days are crazy their days are crazy oh yeah it gives you a chance to sit down and bond with the kids that's one reason we should be reading books every night to kids you know another reason is it supports listening skills you know you and i as we grow older we find now that listening skills are the best skills that we can develop because once we learn how to listen then we can communicate better. We can we can talk to people better. So listening is something we have to teach these kids at a very young age. And you can do that by sitting down every night and reading a book because they want to listen to it. Um, you know, it, it also helps with the cognitive and language development because when you when you sit down and talk to a book kid and read them a book, you know, there's going to be words they don't understand. It gives you a chance to explain these words. Uh, it gives them a chance to round out those words. You know, these are different words that they may see on television or the internet. Um, so so the, the helping them learn more words, that's just another way of part of the bonding and the listening as you're reading a book. And then finally, you know, when, when you're reading a book, when you're two, three, four, you're, you're bouncing all over the house all day long. It gives you a chance to, to have some attention span. You know, you get, you get, you can sit there, you can have attention for even if it's only 15, 20 minutes, you get a chance to really do that. If you do that every night, then we will start teaching our children how to think. And that's what we have to do for this latest generation. What if the child doesn't want to read every night? 
what if they would rather just watch TV and play video games and they just throw fits and tell their mom and dad, like, I ain't doing this. You know, I mean, how do you ingrain in them into saying like, make this, let's make this a habit, you know, cause I agree, you know, I got reading, I started reading later in life than I probably should have. And it's actually, you know, and I try to leave, read 15, 20 minutes a day, kind of what you just said, cause that's about all I can hold is with, you know, it's a bad habit for me. It's just my mind starts to wander, it might be a little ADD or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what if the child does not want to learn? I mean, they just say, nah, I'm good. I got video games. And then only so much the parents, I would think, would just, I'm generally speaking, would just say, all right, fine. I'm not going to fight this battle. Let's talk about discipline right? and how it's evolved over the years. So let's go back to when I was growing up. I, I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. All right. My parents, they really were the greatest generation because they saved the world. You know, they're the generation that went through the depression. They're the generation that fought World War II and saved democracy. Um, this was a very disciplined generation. Right? I mean, without them, we all wouldn't be here like we are today. So you have to have a lot of respect for my parents' generation. Um, and so, but they were also very disciplined. You know, when I was a little kid and uh, my brother Larry and I you know, got into trouble during the day, my mother would say, wait till your dad gets home. You know, and he'd come home and he'd whip out his belt and he would chase us around the kitchen table, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that, that was discipline. In fact, he had a uh, fraternity panel paddle that he also used. Uh, and so one night, one night when my parents were out of the house, my brother and I went to their closet and we grabbed the fraternity paddle and we lived up in Ohio and it was uh, in the late fall and there was, there was all kinds of leaves on the ground. We buried the fraternity paddle under the pile of leaves and then it snowed the next day. Uh, and that spring, we went back out. The fraternity paddle was gone. Oh. It was like a miracle dust. It was like, that's the way life should be. You know, and so, but, the, you know, that was discipline back in the 50s and the 60s. Um, and so then we, we, taught our kids not to be so crazy. We weren't chasing them around the table with a belt. You know, we were putting them in timeout. We were, you know, taking away privileges and all that kind of stuff. And I think, uh, you know, our kids, and again, my kids are in their 30s, so, you know, they're raising their kids now. Um, you know, took that and they, they perfected it to uh, what uh, I think is great discipline today is, you know, if, if a kid gets in trouble, most of the parents will send them into timeout. They'll send them into the corner, you know, and the kids don't like that because now they're away from their friends. They got to look at the wall. You know, I, that's probably the greatest way of, of discipline. In fact, you know, one of the best discipline things that I heard was a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at my daughter, my granddaughter's uh, birth, three-year-old birthday in Austin. We flew out for that. And, uh, you know, we, we were playing with her and her brothers, four and a half years old, and they were fighting over some toys. And then finally she sits up and she says, I, you know, I need my space. And she walks over to the other side of the couch and sits down. And her brother says, you know, I need my space too. And he walks over to the other side and he sits down. Now, they didn't learn that on television. No, there wasn't. Uh, their mother taught them that. I am sure that their mother got frustrated with them at one time <laughs> and says, I need my space. You know, and she goes off and she needs her space and the kids are learning from that. So, you know, we've got to have that discipline. You know, the, 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 I, I'm sure it's tougher in some families than others, but, you know, it's just something you've got to work out. You've got to, I don't want to say force your kids to read books, but they, they need to read books. I mean, you, you, you know, speaking of discipline, you know, I, you know, growing up that, you know, I was, I got set in time out a few times and I've gotten the belt a few times. And I mean, what do you, I mean, or 
parents getting away from actually disciplining their children with a, I guess, a whipping or a spanking or, you know, I mean, at one point in my life, I do remember actually saying, you know, my stepdad told me to go cut a, you know, a limb off the tree so he could <laughs> do, do that to me. I mean, and I, you know, and I'm 35 years old and, but that's how he grew up, you know? And I think, you know, when he passed, he was 72, 73. So, I mean, is that wrong to still in discipline that type of pun or I guess discipline punishment, whatever you want to say onto a child today, or is it just what you said? Hey, all right, try to instill onto them. Hey, we've had too much of each other. Let's go our separate ways for a few minutes and then reset our batteries and we'll come back. Yeah. You know, again, this is the greatest generation ever. It's coming up. They're the ones who are going to change this, this country and make it better. And so we've got to give them the tools to do that. You know, and, and I, I know I'm harping on reading books, but, but the other thing I want to talk about, about when, when you, when you can convince your child to, to, to read a book is, you know, first of all, let them pick out the book. Yeah. Right? And most of most of us have 20 books laying around for little kids to read. You know, let, let them pick it out because then they become ownership. They, they become part of that. Um, you know, and then even before you sit down and read the book, you know, you, you want to, you want to ask them, you know, what do you think is going to happen in this book? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, that, that, that's something you want to get them involved. You want to, again, we're, we're, our job is to teach children how to think. And then, you know, once you open up the book and, uh, you know, start to read the book, who are the characters in this book? You want to ask them who, you know, where is the setting? Make sure that they're engaged. They get a feel for this so that they can see, you know, that they're part of this whole thing. You know, does, does the book, anything in this book sound familiar to you? Do you, can you relate to any of this? You know, and then when it's, when you're done reading the book, you know, much like when you have dinner with your kids or how was your day, you want to say, what was your favorite part of this book and why? Again, we got to get these kids thinking. And I think if, if we continue to do that night after night after night, then these kids are going to grow up. Okay. Do you have a favorite children's book growing up? Um, I, I, I liked, I, I liked them all. I, I, I liked, uh, no, I guess I didn't. I, I, I liked them. Did you? Yeah. Uh, while you were talking right there, uh, it just hit me that my favorite, I just remember, I, I know I read a few, but my favorite, well, my one go-to was go dog go. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but I think, uh, Eastman maybe was the author, but I couldn't tell you about much about it now. I haven't read it in years, but but uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite books. I can just remember, always, that's one of my memories. And still when I was, I was always wanting to read Go Dog Go. So well, that's great. That's yeah. great. You know, um, you know, we were talking about the, the questions that you ask your kids. Uh, and I, I think there's one question that if every parent would ask their kid this question, that it, it could change our world. You know, uh, the question is, what did you do that was nice to someone else? Right. Now, when you ask your child, a two, three, four year old, what did you do this nice to someone else uh, today? You know, you know, they're sitting there playing toys or taking toys from their from their cousins and they're 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 stealing things and things. But, you know, the, they won't know exactly what you're talking about the first time you say that. But if you ask them that every day, you know, what did you do that was nice to someone else today over time? they're going to actually try to figure out, well, what can I impress my mom and dad with that I did nice to someone else? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we did that, can you imagine if, if we did that today, how different our society would be if we could grow up with saying, what did you do for someone else today? Yeah. Yeah. There's an importance to being kind and actually, you know, implementing that with 
you know, like you said, small children make it a habit, you know, to actually open a door for somebody. Like you said, what'd you do for somebody? And, you know, uh, you know, smile at somebody, say thank you, you know, whatever. And it's almost, I don't want to say it's a lost thing, but it's almost seems to be that, you know, just because, you know, I work at a local university here and it seems more people were just kind of worried about themselves and the me factor about, okay, what do I need to do today? I don't care about anybody else. It's just me, me, me. And, you know, uh, you know, however, I, whatever I need to do to get to point A to point B, that's how I'm going to do it. And, you know, and just like you said, this, I think it almost it seems to be like, you know, we're not instilling those, that value on the importance of being kind, kind of what you were just saying on to, the younger generations, even though that you do, like you were saying, want to be the greatest generation that we have coming up, but it doesn't seem to always be there. Maybe that's just me generally speaking, but. Um, so, so how can, what can we do to change all that? I, I don't mean, know. You're, you're, I, you're in the prime of age, 35 years old. Yeah, what, I mean, what can you do? Well, I mean, you know, you think that, you know, given the power of the cell phones that listen to podcasts like this and it's, you know, listen to, like you said, lead by example, people who they look up to and their role models, but not maybe not all these generations or children, especially in the inner cities, have people to look up to, you know, and that they're getting their morals and values and skills and whatever you want to say in their language from just watching the Internet and this random YouTube videos they see all day. And that's just where it's it's going in that direction. And then, of course. Friends, I would think we're just going to learn more from their friends, you know, as they get older and older, instead of, you know, they hit that rebellion age of, you know, teenager age or whatever. I'm not going to listen to what my parents say. They don't know anything. I'm the smartest kid alive. I mean, that's kind of how I probably was when I was little. You know, I thought I knew it all. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't have the answers. I mean, hopefully somebody with a better brain, like how do we get, like you said, make this the greatest generation coming up? Because, you know, based on like we talked about earlier, these are some hard times that might be coming our way as far as you know just with covid and we don't know what's the future may hold i mean you know keeping up with the news nowadays and we don't have to get into this at all but you know with this whole ukraine and russia thing we might go you know see something fly off the wall here i don't know yeah it goes back to it really takes a village it takes more than just mom and dad to do it it takes the friends and and it's just an attitude that, that we in america have got to have yeah yeah i mean i think I agree with 100% what you said that you have, I agree it takes a village, but you got to have role models, you know, and just say, sit down and think, ooh, okay, I like exactly what they're doing. I like how they're living their life. Maybe I should change my ways and try to be more like them and not 100% complete copycat. But I mean, that's what's helped me out in life, just looking up through people and just saying, you know, I don't think I want to live like that, but ooh, I like the way that person's doing X said thing. I want to, you know, I want to be like that. I'd rather have that type of morals and values and I, when people think of me i would like them to think of me this way instead of just oh he's just a piece of trash you know yeah i mean think about it if our news would focus on role models rather than the negative news every night you know it, it just would help i mean is it cool to be negative what are your thoughts i mean is that like the the thing in today's world it's like it's so cool to be negative you know like i guess what i'm trying to say is that no matter what say you we go see a one of your favorite movies or whatever you know, like 10, nine out, or 10 out of 10 people or 10 out of 11 people hate it. There's going to be that one person that just, oh, I hated it. And like, well, why did you hate it? I thought it was a pretty good movie, you know, and just like, I, I don't have to tell you, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what did you hate about it? You tell us. I mean, we all liked it, but what did you specifically hate about it? And it's just like, they just want to be negative just because that's like, you just talked about the news and stuff. That's, it's so easy to be negative, you know? 
Yeah, you kind of asked yourself as you were growing up, did your family view the glass as half empty or half full? Mm-hmm. And I think that really does influence how you view life as you get older. You know, as you're growing up, were, were your parents positive? Did they urge you to do great things? Or did were they always negative? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's what's causing it. <clears throat> Is it cause? Uh, how do I want to word this? That parents and teachers and stuff, and I'm not, again, I'm just generally speaking, they want to not allow children to chase their dreams. They just want to be more real with, you know, with children and toddlers growing up saying, you know, somebody saying, Hey, I want to be a movie star. I want to be a pro basketball player. It's like, eh, well, you know, only, you know, what? 1%. Yeah. 1% make it or whatever, whatever it is. And then they're like, so why don't you just go ahead and just focus on going to, you know, college and then getting a nine to five job or whatever. I mean, do you think that's part of it that we're almost being too real and just shutting down their parades, not allowing them to dream and be real anymore? That's an interesting point. And I think that uh, you may be on to something, you know, that the parents, you know, don't want their kids to be disappointed because you you want want to be a movie star, but there's 1% chance you're going to do it. But, you know, what about following the dream for a while? It's got to, it's got to help. We all got smarter because we made lots of mistakes. I mean, if you think about it, the wisdom comes because you're not always right. You're not always successful, but you can learn from that. So we need our kids to stumble. We need them to fail so that they get smarter. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, I went down the track that, you know, go to school, get more education, the more education you get, the better job you'll get, you know, and that, you know, and I made plenty of mistakes along the way, but that's exactly how I learned, you know, and, you know, maybe having a little bit too much fun in college and stuff and uh, not, you know, getting the dream job that you thought you were going to get out the road, but you learn, like you said, learn from your mistakes and you do better the next day. And, you know, I think maybe a lot of people decide that, hey, just because I do, I go to college and get that degree, I'm automatically going to be handed whatever I need or that job or whatever. And then, it doesn't get it and they just, or they don't get that job or they don't get that promotion or whatever. And they just shut down completely and just say, well, this is it. There's no reason for me to learn anything else. I'll just stay at this, you know, this position the rest of my life until, you know, I get called up to wherever I go. So you think that's maybe part of it? That- well, you know, today is the best time in our country's history to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. To follow your own dreams, to start your own business. Um, And a lot of that is driven by the technology that we have. I mean, if you think about it, if you want to sell stuff, you know, before you had to open up a brick and mortar store, you had to do advertising, the local newspapers, you know, you really had to spend a lot of money to do that. In today's world, with the beauty of the Internet and how you can communicate with social media. I mean, 10 years ago, nobody was really doing social media. You know, think about the difference of, of today versus just 10 years ago. And, you know, the, 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 so if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to try something that hasn't been tried before, this is absolutely the best time there is. I mean, just look, you know, on, on Amazon alone, there's a million 
you know, people in the United States, they're just selling products or selling mm-hmm. something that they may not have done 10 years ago. So that's just a million things. And then oh, what's interesting about that is there is a whole uh, organization now of investment bankers that are finding those people that are selling uh, goods on Amazon. They're doing one to five million dollars and they're buying them and consolidating them to become the next big chain. Mm-hmm. So you know, there are just so many ways today that, that you can follow your dreams that are not going to break you from the bank like it used to because of all the physical things you had to do. So, you know, uh, this is the time, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or even 60s, you know, to go out and make it happen. Yeah, it doesn't really matter how old you are. I mean, especially if you just have an idea and a goal that with, like you said, with today's technology and everyone's resources, you can make something happen if you really want it to happen. But, um, you know, why you said that, I mean, it was a great thought that if you think about it, that's basically what, if you want to say America was founded on was not almost say founded on entrepreneurship, but that's how we grew to, I guess, where we are today with people taking chances and opening up these small businesses and turning them into huge corporations. And, you know, and a lot of people will argue that small businesses are still the backbone of this country, which, you know, I'm not saying they are not, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, if somebody doesn't like the route they're going, if they have a great idea, I mean, I forgot who said that, but it was a, pro football player i can't remember said but yeah if you have a great idea don't worry about going to college just worry about trying to make that idea happen you know and and run and i don't i'm not saying that's 100 right don't go to college because i went but but yeah if you have a great idea i mean if you really want to do it do it i mean go for it you know you know there's 30 million small businesses here in the u.s it's been pretty consistent over the years there's 30 million small businesses here wow. Um, which is and there's only uh, there's only 250,000 huge businesses so it gives you an idea how small businesses really are the backbone i mean take a look at what you're doing podcasting yeah. who would have thought of podcasting 10 years ago exactly yeah there's not there wasn't many this is the first thing i've actually took a leap of faith on and tried something for myself and yeah and so why did you do it what me what, what drove you to do this oh uh, it was like you were talking about earlier it was part of it was part of covid um and i've always like ever since podcasting started coming about well not 10 years ago but maybe the last four to five years you know, I found a couple of people that I enjoyed listening to. And, like, you know, I've gotten a lot of great pearls and gems from it, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't always have to do things that way. I mean, I like what they're saying. You know, I learned something from that person. I learned something from that podcast. And I was like, well, you know what? I'll maybe everything that I'm learning, everything that's ingraining in on me, I would like to be able to share with it and actually have conversations like the ones we're having right now that actually even self-educate me more on, uh, you know, X topics or whatever, like once a day. You know, some of these topics that, I'm still scratching the surface on trying to, you know, get to where it's like, I want to be more comfortable talking with them. But that was part of the motivation behind it was that, you know, I thought podcasts were in like having conversations like this was almost dying just because of electronics. Just everyone just seemed to be like, I'll just put a screen in front of my face and watch Netflix all day until I go to ready to go to sleep. But it was just like, no, but you know, I enjoy having conversations like this and not saying that, you know, I can bring a lot to the table, but with you educating me with, you know, your background, what you've been through in your life. So it's, Hey, you know, this is interesting, you know, and I enjoy it. And that's something that my, you know, listeners might get, I want to say my listeners, but the listeners will get something out of, and I get something out of, you know, it's an enjoyment for me, you know, and it just, I think there was a lot of, you know, positive attributes to actually starting a podcast. And that was maybe a little bit longer answer than uh, what you asked, but yeah, that was mainly the, the gist of it all though. So, I mean, think think about the industry of podcasting. I mean, where are there a million podcasts or 500,000 that are active? Millions now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there was, nobody was doing that no. you know, just 10 years ago. So it just shows 
you know, podcast is an example of if you've got the desire, you know, America is the greatest place in the world. Just do it. And, and you're on and you're running, you're up and running. So congratulations on, on, on hitting your dream here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I don't know if it was a dream, but it was something that, like I said, that I wanted to do and I wanted to at least take a chance on, you know, and, you know, me and my buddies were doing it the first few episodes and I never thought past that it would really take off. I just figured I would get my fix for it. But OK, well, you know, I'm good with it. You know, we don't have to do it anymore. But no, like I said, I, I've started interviewing people like yourself. and It was wow. There's I'm getting there. I get something out of it. So sometimes like I feel like I, I'm in a bad mood and I really don't want to do these. But then after sitting down and talking it out and stuff, I, I come away. Man, I learned a few things for that, man. I really you know, enjoyed that. It changes my mood altogether. You know, it's uh little things like that. Just, you know, like, uh, there's little wins in life. I guess you get that, you know, we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier, just trying to get those wins and doing something kind and learning something new. And so yeah, that should be your tagline mood changing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, I might make a note on that right there, but I mean, so, uh, let's kind of go get back, uh, circle back here a little bit, but so, how long have you been writing? I mean, this this wasn't your first book, was it? Or was well, it? interesting. My my first book is a book called The Secrets of Retailing, How to Beat Walmart. I don't know if you can see it here. Yeah, I saw in the background there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, How to Beat Walmart. Okay. Secrets of Retailing, How to Beat Walmart. So what's, yeah, what's the theme of that one? Well, I've started a uh, couple of businesses. Uh, one I sold to investors, the other one I took public. Uh, and the one I took public uh, became the premier business-to-business -business site on the internet where we sold in case quantity to small businesses all around the world, shipped in all 50 states, around 40 different countries. Our customer base were the moms and the pops who are surviving and thriving as a chain. Okay. So basically, we sold, uh, sell products at wholesale and closeout prices. And uh, so you can come in and in Main Street America, you can buy products to compete against the big guys. Um, so uh, the what was happening is we were building the business. I was getting all these calls from entrepreneurs and small businesses saying, you know, what do I need to do? How do I do this? So the book is 15 different chapters, a step-by-step -step guide of opening a business. So one chapter talks about how you should hire people and who you should hire. Another chapter talks about the real estate. Another chapter talks about, you know, the uh, uh, products and how to buy them and things like that. Another chapter talks about uh, internet marketing and other one talks about the regular marketing. So it's a whole book that talks about uh, the step-by-step -step guide to opening up a uh, business. So that was my really my first book. And what happened was uh, Arianna Huffington uh, read the book and uh, she asked me to start contributing to the Huffington Post. And I don't know if you're familiar with Huffington Post, but uh, yeah, I've written over 100 articles for Huffington Post, a lot of it on small businesses and on, uh, on uh, you know, how to uh, entrepreneurs and things like that. But what happened, because we are so dominant on the Internet with keywords and phrases, thousands and thousands of them, that when uh, Katrina hit, you know, it was 20 years ago already, wow. when Katrina hit. Um, you know, that because we were so ranked organically one, two, and three and all these words, all of a sudden we were getting these uh, calls from nonprofit organizations, churches and schools that wanted to help, uh, you know, the less fortunate. So we were selling underwear and socks and toothpaste and toothbrushes. And then when they opened up the, uh, the, the, the trailers, we were doing all the kitchen supplies and the bathroom supplies and the, uh, and the uh, you know, the bedroom supplies. And so it opened up a whole world. You know, we talk about you know, the entrepreneurship and, and 
pivoting and coming up with ideas that we figured that the, the nonprofit world was underserved because, you know, they were coming to us because they could buy cheaper, they could stretch their dollars and help more people. So we pivoted and then you know, half the business started going to nonprofit organizations. So part of my articles uh, that I, I write for the Huffington Post are on nonprofit subjects like the homeless and the elderly and education and things like that, uh, because that's what we've learned from all the nonprofits that we sell to. Um, in fact, that's kind of how the book ends. Uh, the, the, the children's book, I Don't Want to Turn Three, is all the kids uh, decide to give all their toys to the homeless kids downtown. Um, and that came from an idea that, 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 that my oldest grandchild, who just turned nine, Olivia, you know, she was having a, a, a drive at her school to help the homeless. And so she came up with the idea, let's give all these toys to the homeless. And so that came from, but the, that kind of it felt good because that's what I was working on over the last 20 years. You know, and I, I kind of want to touch on some things that you just spoke about. But do you think in the future years, like we're seeing in bigger cities like San Francisco, the, the homeless situation seems to be almost getting out of control? I mean, you think the future of will we see and this just keep growing or will we actually try to take more and more steps? Not we when I'm I'm not going to probably be doing much, but, you know, cities and states be taking more to um, try to make a solution towards the homeless in this country. Yes, I, I feel very strong about that. In fact, one of the offsets of all this money that's coming into the local governments for uh, the, the COVID relief is it gives them the funds to help the situation. Uh, you know, in, in our town here in, in, uh, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe is, uh, is, is purchasing some you know, buildings to help the homeless, to put the homeless into. Yeah. You know, and I think you're going to see that happening. So an offset of this terrible COVID thing um, is it could be that the state and local governments have the funding now to help take care of the problems that we've been sidestepping for years. Do you think... I mean, this is, this, you know, I've read reports that where people in their local governments and state governments are getting these types of monies just to help these situations. But it's almost that, you know, they're lobbying for the money, but just keeping it to make big paychecks for themselves and not really doing anything about the homeless situation uh, at all. Just, for example, like in San Francisco, where it's almost gotten out of control, I think that. There, I mean, there's even a map right there where you can see where homeless people have defecated on the streets and like actually tell you where like not to go on these specific streets. And I'm not saying I've been that way, but it's just reports that I've actually read and um, and articles that it just seems like it's almost it's gotten to be where, you know, it's just a corrupt politicians, which I mean, we know that obviously that happens. But I mean, is it just more of that just trying to keep all the money for themselves, you think, instead of do the work on a situation or work on a problem? Even though this country is more divided than it's ever been politically, yeah. I do think that the politicians we do have have a heart. And I do think that they will be coming together in crisis situations like this. So I, 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 I think uh, I, I think that local and state governments will be working together to help these situations. You know, there's some things that they're that the bipartisanism does work on. And this is one of those, you know, we can still be arguing about all kinds of other things politically, but I think, you know, the social uh, aspect of seeing relatives and friends and veterans homeless, you know, we've hit the peak. And I think, I think that we're all focusing in on that. It'll take time, but I think it'll be better today. It'll be better tomorrow than it was yesterday.
You know, I want to take it back a little bit, just because I don't want to go off too much of a, a political soapbox, I guess. But, you know, what is it like for a toddler or a child growing up in a, a pandemic? You know, it's something that this is obviously my first pandemic and never experienced anything like it. And luckily, I wasn't really in quarantine, you know, like, you know, we worked from home for a few months, but then we, you know, the university brought us back. But so I could imagine though, you know, being, you know, in a big city where it was like, Hey, you cannot go outside to your apartment, your house or part, whatever you want to call it. I mean, is that going to inflict on a child's learning cognitions? Like you were talking about earlier or just saying, Hey, this is, or this is just what, you know, what life is right now, you know? And I know we've kind of gotten back a little bit to where, you know, we're actually going, as children are going back to school and they got away from the virtual learning, but it seems to almost be with the rising cases of Omicron, we might be seeing virtual learning come back. Yeah, these kids lost a year. There, there's no doubt that they lost a year of education. Now, because they're young, they can make that up. Because, you know, the, 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 what they lost, they could make up. Now, you know, uh, unfortunately, not everybody's got Internet in this country. So not everybody was able to do virtual learning. So it just helps with the greater divide between those that have and those that don't now. Um, so, again, it's up to us to make sure that we even this all out. Uh, so, yeah, they're a little bit behind, but I'm comfortable with our educators of today. The one, they're very dedicated, and I think I think they'll be caught up. But again, that's why it takes a village. That's why now more than ever, you know, the, the, we got to get grandparents involved. You know, no matter what their economic uh, uh, feeling is, they've got to help help bring these kids along. Um, but the internet's helping them. You know, the, if this would have happened uh, 30 years ago, our, the generation would have been very far behind. Because how would they have learned from home? Oh yeah, uh, there would have been no way, right? I mean, just whatever books you what you had laying around the house, or whatever you could just scrape together and maybe make up as you just go would be the the way to ingrain it. If this would have happened, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, before internet. And, you know, one thing I didn't realize was that. Uh, during this pandemic that not everybody had internet, like you just said, and I forgot where I picked that up from, but uh, yeah, that you were not the first person I heard that from. And I was like, wow, there's still not everyone that has internet. That kind of blew my mind. And yeah, it just really surprised me that. Yeah. We're, uh, out here in the West in Arizona and, uh, New Mexico and, uh, in Utah, there's a lot of, uh, tribal reservations and they're vast. They're huge. Yeah. And they just don't have internet and it's, it's scary. It really is scary. You know, when when you're reading to your grandchildren or toddlers or whatever, I mean, are you breaking down the concepts of your, your book or whatever book you're reading at the time? We may have touched on this a little bit earlier, but just kind of breaking it down for them and like saying, hey, you know, this is what lesson you should be getting from, you know, this paragraph right here or this part of the book. And this is what I want you to try to take away from it. Is that what you're kind of ingrained in as being a role model and a grandfather? Uh, I would like to say yes, but I don't think that's what happens Okay, you know, because, you know, you go into it thinking this is what's going to happen. But, you know, again, let the kids ask the questions and, and let them explore, um, because, you know, if you start to get it too heavy with them too soon, you know, they, 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 they wander off. Yeah. The, 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 what, what you have to do is develop a, a habit of reading in kids. You know, number one is like we talked about before, be the role model. Let them see you reading books or reading magazines or reading, you know, let them not see you on your on your phone most of your waking days. You know, you've, you've got to have a bedtime reading routine. So 
have them take their bath. They next they know they got to do the reading. You know, it's got to be part of the routine. It's just got to be part of what you do. You know, and, and you have to set up a special special place in your house for these books. You know, whether it's a piece of the kids' little bedroom, whether it's out in your living room, gotta have a little library, a little place for them to know that it's a, a specific space to kind of study, to have it there. It brings back home the idea that you know this is important to mom and dad that, that I, I read a book every night. So it's got to be someplace there that does that. You know, these books you should always make sure they're colorful and they're attractive because younger kids. The visual parts of them really is what gets these kids going uh, on these books. And then, um, you know, you got to know what their tendency is. Do they like to read alone? In other words, they don't want mom and dad. I'm going to read this book by myself. Or do they like to be read to by mom and dad and grandma? You know, you got to do that. And just make sure you are limiting screen time. You know, kids, they're going to be on the screen two, three hours a day. But make sure it's not eight hours a day. Do you let them? Yeah, seriously, not eight hours a day. Do you let them pick the book or do you try to pick it? for yourself. I, I think it's important, you know, if you've got a nice selection of books, most of us do, you know, we're inherited. I mean, I've got books from my parents and my kids and you know, I get, so I got a bunch of little books here, but uh, let them pick it out. Cause again, that starts the ownership that starts them to feel like, Oh, this is my time. And I'm part of this. You know, they're not just, they're not dictating to me. I'm, I'm part of this. Yeah. That's one thing that I've always thought that you know, if I wanted to read something, I would actually sit down and read it as opposed to somebody saying, hey, you should read this book. And it's like, no, I'm not going to read it. I'd rather read it just because I want to. And just because you like it, but I might check it out, but then I'll try to get interested in it. But yeah, if I've even even learning anything in life, if you really want to learn it, you'll actually sit down and take the time to learn it. Or then, And that goes with everything in life. You know, if you really want to do something, you'll do it. But if you want to make up an excuse and just say, oh, I'll just start tomorrow, and then here comes tomorrow. And you're like, oh, you're not really going to do it. But yeah, I agree that. If you let, you know, a child pick out something they want to read, then they'll be more interested. Yeah, you just hit on something very important. You want to create the curiosity that builds imaginations. So, you know, create that curiosity. Let them let them kind of wonder why, because the more curious you are when you're younger, the more imaginations you have as you grow older. Yeah. And. You know, I remember, if you know, during this conversation, I was just trying to remember, like, my brother and I, like, the made-up games we played when we were little and just letting our curiosities and imaginations just run wild, you know, and just based off if we did read a book or whatever movie or TV show we were into at the time. And But, yeah, and that was a fun part of it. But then it seems like you almost lose that as you get older but because I guess things become more real. You have 14 different things in your head all day, and you don't really think about trying to – you know, acting like walking around your backyard like a dinosaur or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, wouldn't it be fun to be kids all the time? Yeah, man. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I forgot. I forgot I've read a meme or something like that on the Internet. And this was probably, you know, not too long ago. But it said, you know, what was your favorite time growing up? And it was like somebody wrote on there, you know, I was six years old. I could do what I want, not have to pay bills all day and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, that was, uh, that'd been the great, that was a great, great, great time to be alive. You know, all you did was worried about when playtime was and when you probably got something to eat. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, were you pretty close to your grandparents like this? I mean, did they kind of instill some of these values on this, you know, on you when you were growing up? Yes. But, you know, in those generation, all the grandparents died when they were 60s. Okay. Oh. And so, you know, you know, the, the, my, uh, luckily I had one grandmother who, who lived into her nineties. She was spectacular. Wow. 
Um, but, but the, the other ones, you know, you, so you, you learn from them when you're nine, 10, 11, that's about it. So they were gone. Yeah. And that's another reason why today grandparents have to get involved. I mean, I, I I've lost plenty of friends to this COVID. I mean, just think about the amount of people that have died, you know, in their, in their sixties and seventies that shouldn't have been dying right now because yeah. of COVID, you know? And so, so we, we, as grandparents, you know, we've got to take advantage of this time, you know, because again, kids, you only have influence on kids from, you know, up until 18, well, not even, probably not even until they're 18, only when they were a little younger, but, but you only have 18 years, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that, that's two decades. It's not a lot of time. Decades go by fast when you get my age. Yeah. Um, and then, right so, so you've got the, the, your children, your grandkids are only young once. And you're only, you may only be here today and gone tomorrow. So that's another reason why we have got to make an effort to get involved with these kids is because, you know, we're dying. (laughs) COVID is not kind to old people. Um, So, so you, you got to make sure to be part of this and make that effort. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I've been learning a lot more lately, just that time is fine. And that one thing that I've, I've said a couple of times on here that, no amount of money ever bought an extra second piece of time, you know, and it's just something that's like, you know, I try to be more aware of what I'm doing with my time, you know, especially, you know, by having conversations like this, you know, what I'm doing at work, you know, what I'm doing outside of work, you know, trying to, you know, get in shape or stay healthy or whatever, but it's just, you know, how do I manage my time to be better than yesterday? I guess is what is, uh, the moral or that point I was trying to make right there. So, yeah, you know, it brings up another point that, um, when you love, you will teach others how to love. So, you know, when, 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 you know, as older people, as grandparents, as parents, you know, if you show love, others will learn how to love. And so we, we can't be bashful with that either. You know, it's just another thing that we've got to push on to these younger kids that when you show them how much you love them, they're going to learn how to love. And, And speaking of that, that, you know, it seems like there's a trend that families are having less and less children compared to, you know, like baby boomers or whatever. And I mean, are you going to see that we'll see, you know, lower populations of children and people in the future? I mean, you know, in X amount of years, just because of, you know, like you're talking about COVID and hardships, you know, people don't want to have big families much anymore just because of, you know, usually the main reason is financial and just, and some people just want to be, have all the time to themselves as opposed to trying to, you know, come home from their nine to five. And it's like, all right, well, I got to spend time with the kids now and make sure I'm putting in my work for them. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Another cause of that is when I was younger, we got married, the baby boomers got married 20, 21, 22, 23. I mean, we got married young. It's, yeah. it's generation. Some of us got married older, but now I can, I've got three daughters and I've got one son. All three of my daughters got married in their thirties. Okay. They didn't get married. Yeah, that's 10 years later than, uh, than I got married. And my son who's uh, 42 is still not married. So, you know, it, uh, it's a whole different world. And so that's flipping on us. So as you get older, you don't need as many kids. Well, yeah, I guess you're, yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah. But you know, with the future of education, the future of grandparents, future of parenting, I mean, what do you see in 20, 30 years down the road? I mean, with, you know, even with times for now, I mean, do you think that, you know, we're coming back out of this and we'll see a, a better life for the younger generations and then what we're leaving them with and just 
I hope that kind of made sense what I was trying to ask. But yeah, no, I I think you're right. In other words, I think that uh, just what's going on in this world today, the technology we have, the new businesses that are being created, I think life is going to be better for these kids coming up than it is for your generation. You know what? And I think we should kind of take it home on that, especially <laughs> this uh, what you just said. Try to end this on a good note, especially I, I wrote down your quote that you just said that when you love. You'll teach you others how to love too. So I really like that. But uh, before we end this, so why don't you tell everybody um, if they want to find you, if they want to find your books? I mean, where do they do that at? Sure, you can find uh, you can find both books. Uh, I don't want to turn three. My children's book and uh, the secrets of retailing how to be Walmart on Amazon, uh, and you can find the children's book on uh, Barnes Noble and about a hundred other sites around the. Uh, internet or come to my site, gramsjeffrey.com. That's gramps, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y.com. Or I love to talk to or be in contact with any of your listeners to talk even further about these things. And they can reach me at gramsjeffrey at gmail.com. Great. Great. Um, anything else you want to say or anything you want to send a positive message to grandparents now that, you know, maybe they should be thinking about something before, uh, like, again, we take this home and something you want to leave out of here with? Yeah, just get involved with your grandkids, please. You know, they need us to help round out who they're going to become tomorrow. Great. Gramps, this is great. I really, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. I really appreciate you doing this. This was great. Well, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it too. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, if you write another book down the road, we'll get you back on here and promote it a little bit and talk a little bit more about how life's going and see if uh, more people are getting involved or more grandparents are getting involved with their kids, you know. You got it. Thanks. Great. Take care, everybody. We're gone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park